Last week, Wes Strubing, CEO of Logistics Titans, came back on the show to give us an update on all the amazing things they got up to in 2020, plus how they are revolutionizing last mile. When you deliver a product to your customers, do the drivers have a step-by-step -step guide on delivery? Tune in to find out more about how this will change your customer experience and help you stand out from the crowd. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community. New innovations and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. A spare part so the plane you're on to go see family for the holidays can leave safely and on time. A gift to cheer up a loved one during a challenging time. Or what about those shoes you were finally going to treat yourself to? All likely manufactured overseas. International shipping touches everyone's lives differently, but it absolutely touches all of us. But many of us know that that system, that vital system that helps the world turn is broken. So many mid-market importers, exporters, and forwarders are struggling, bogged down in paperwork. All too often, I've heard the frustrations that they no longer have the appropriate means to do their job right in 2020. That in this day and age, it just should not be this hard. And I agree, it absolutely shouldn't. Meet Ships, the innovative new marketplace where you can find your perfect partner, get quick and accurate costs, real-time benchmarking figures, and a secure online account, all with just one click. Sign up for your free trial now over at Ships, S-H-I-P-Z or Z.com. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This is another great week over at Let's Talk Supply Chain. I am emceeing the Leadership Summit in partnership with Four Kites tomorrow, and I can't wait to see you all there. We also have an extra special episode of Blended. I am talking to a panelist of amazing people throughout the industry and, you know, just throughout North America about Black Lives Matter, the movement. What does that mean? How can we be better allies? What does the commercialization of it means? Um, how have we progressed or digressed from where we were at July 2020 to where we are now? So stay tuned. That is coming out Wednesday afternoon. And today is a holiday here in Toronto. It's called Family Day. And I know we've all been getting some extra special time with our family, but it's still important to get out and be with family on Family Day today. So I hope wherever you are in Canada that you are enjoying that. Today, I'm honored to be joined by one of Canada's top sustainability professionals. In her role at one of the world's leading IT companies, this award-winning woman is truly using her platform to change the world. Who is it? We'll find out more after this question of the week. So the question of the week that we asked was, what are your top three priorities for 2021? For the most part, we got a lot of people coming back and saying, well, how can we just give you three? But I um, asked people just to give us three. So let's go through some of these. So Sarah Scudder, 
says, well, she actually gave us four. Be happy, grow RSN, do an act of daily kindness, increase awareness about the benefits of the importance of print. And Schneeha says, so many manage my calendar to add personal time, work towards a project she's been thinking of doing, adding some digital detox days. Ooh, I like the digital detox days. Um, Audrey Ross says, I want to do less on social media or distractions and more on that scary project that I really want to put into the world. Krissa Klein, she says, make time for myself to reflect, unwind, take care of my health and fitness, learn new things that support my personal and professional interests, and be challenged in a new role. Dan Deegan, he says, skilling up so he can help his clients reach their goals, bettering his writing and flow systems, delivering more value and ideas. And that was just business, and he gave us a whole bunch on the personal side as well. Nick Romer, be the best father and husband I can be. Open up Cybus 21 USA. Yeah, we can't wait for that, Nick. Add value, teach, and be taught on sustainability. Um, well, then, Nick, you're really going to love this episode. Rhonda. Love, always love Rhonda's comments. One, keep me holistically healthy, prioritizing partnerships, and continue to be curious. Peter, stay close and connected. Ensure I embrace each day with a positive outlook. Pay it forward to those in need. John W. Hansen, break the 20-minute 5K time mark. I am rooting for you, John. Write, write, and write some more. Make a meaningful difference in my business and personal life. Um, Christopher Springer, share thoughts fearlessly. Be outdoors often. Build and maintain human connection. Renee Wilson says this is such a good question. Um, to continue to help our clients as an extension to their business, um, gain more clients who share our vision and personally have more family time together. Last but not least, Joshua Crosby, health, education, and work to improve my team and corporate culture. I love all of that. And thank you so much to everybody who participates in our question of the week. We do ask the question every single Wednesday morning over on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Now back to today's podcast and which inspirational powerhouse of a woman is joining me today? Well, it's Frances Edmonds. In her role as head of sustainable impact at HP Canada, Frances is responsible for driving business from sustainability leadership. Focusing on Canada's sustainable procurement practices, Frances is working to change how Canada buys. She's founded sustainability and environmental education programs, given TEDx talks, sits on sustainability boards, and I cannot wait to hear what she has to say. Today, we'll be talking about her long-standing career, her passion for sustainability, why it's so important, and the changes we can all start making in our business right now. So welcome to the show, Francis. Thank you. Great to be here. Very excited. I am so excited. I mean, you might have noticed from the intro that I'm really excited to talk to you today. The issue of sustainability is so important. And thankfully, it's something that I've been talking more about with brands on the show over the past year. But there's no one more qualified than you to give us the real lowdown on sustainability. And I learned that back in 2019, 
I was honored at Supply Chain Canada Sustainability Conference to um, host the panel discussion that we had. And the, the information that you gave us in that session just completely blew me away. And so I am honored to have you on the show today. So let's get right into it because we've got a lot to talk about. I mean, you've had an impressive career to date. You started out with the UK government and are now head of sustainable impact for HP over here in Canada. Can you just take us back to the beginning and talk us through that journey? Sure. So my first job out of school um, was actually working in a laboratory testing water quality for drinking water. And occasionally they would let me out of the lab and I would go do the sampling and, and seeing um, firsthand the impact of land use disruption on water quality through taking the sample and then analyzing it. And that led me into thinking, hmm, I need to know more about this and I should be studying this. So um, stopped doing a, a degree at night school in chemistry and, and switched to full time uh, looking at environmental science, uh, which led into a career in the UK government and for, as a Ministry of Labour inspector. And then when I came to Canada, I worked as uh, environmental health and safety manager in the chemical and pharmaceutical industry and then took a sideways move into tech. And I've been at HP for 20 plus years now. So uh, I, would never, I would never have guessed that in a million years, but uh, here I am and very proud of my colleagues around the globe who put so much work and effort into sustainability leadership uh, that makes my job very easy. And, and I have a very different kind of a job than a traditional sustainability person today, spending more time outside of HP than actually inside. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit. Um, what are you doing for HP on the sustainability side and what does that mean? So you're not, you, I, I know that from our conversation at Supply Chain Canada that, that you do get involved internally, I think, when, with the onboarding process. I, I believe you mentioned that. But then what are you doing externally as well? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm uh, responsible for all of our corporate social responsibility programs. So that means running our volunteer program, all the donations we do to nonprofits and the collaboration we do with them. And obviously onboarding new employees, I, I deliberately personally train them. I don't put them through a computer-based training. Um, and sort of setting them up with their volunteer t-shirt and, and getting everybody aligned to understand that sustainability is everybody's job, not just, not just Francis's job at HP. But as we looked at uh, the progression we've made, we're able to say that we're Canada's most sustainable technology company today. Um, but as we looked at that, we realized that not many businesses are going to want to try to become a leader in sustainability because there's no recognition for that in the marketplace. We're, right. in, a we're in a capitalist system today where businesses exist to delight their customers. If the customers are not asking them sustainability-related questions when they buy from them, not many businesses are going to want to step up and do more on sustainability. And actually, you know, a good example of that would be in Canada. We only we have less than 20 companies who have set a science-based target for carbon reduction in the decade of climate action. We've got nine years now to really get a grip on the climate crisis. And I use that term deliberately, climate crisis. And yet we've only got 20 companies in Canada who've set a, a target that is science-based. And how can that be? And it's because we're not sending the signal into the marketplace. So uh, HP has invested in me to try and change how Canada buys. And there's no roadmap on how to do that, but that's my job today. 
Wow, I love that. And I'm, I, I love the fact that you've embraced that role and in and, and the fact that, you know, there's not really a roadmap. You're kind of paving the way and yet you are heading it with so much knowledge, so much passion and that HP is employing you to do that and making an impact, you know, really globally because you're you're talking to companies and helping them to figure out what that looks like for them. And so it just makes it a better place for everybody. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of sustainability programs or strategies do you have in place at HP? Sure. So obviously for the proof point of being Canada's most sustainable technology company, we would have to put a lot of data behind that. So we can start with the external validation and recognition uh, which is important because transparency is a key component of sustainability leadership. You're starting to see much more uh, demand in the marketplace from all stakeholders for transparency and supply chain is a particular one. Um, so we get a lot of recognition for that. So this week we were just uh, listed as one of the top 100 most sustainable corporations worldwide by Corporate Knights, which is a Canadian organization, which is great. Uh, we're on Canada's greenest employers list, best diversity employers list. Um, there's a long list. So that is externally. People are looking at the data that we put out there to say, yes, you're in the top 1% of all suppliers worldwide. But what does that really look like in practice? So we have awards from you know everything from how we do ecological landscaping at our head office <laughs> through wow. to the products and services that we're offering um, to goals like our education goal is enable better learning outcomes for 100 million people by 2025. So we think big when we go at this, um, and it's very cool. And obviously, we have the traditional waste diversion goals, um, and we're in the process of setting some new big goals too, which is also very exciting. Amazing, amazing. And one question that I want to ask you, and you know, you and I talked about this in the leadership summit uh, just a few days ago. Where, you know, if somebody's listening to this and they're they're hearing about your sustainability programs and what you're doing at HP, you know, it, it sounds like they're, it's so big, right? That could really overwhelm a lot of people to even just get started. What would be your suggestion to them of where they can start on their sustainability path? Well, for HP, our supply chain is 50% of our total carbon footprint. And the quote from Ray Anderson is, the fastest way to green your business is to buy from one that's already green theirs. And you could use green as the proxy for all things sustainable. So I would say, start with the next thing you're going to buy and look at it and add in some sustainability requirements. My definition of sustainable procurement is buying the most sustainable service or good from the most sustainable supplier. And you'll note, I deliberately switched goods and services because in the circular economy, services, access to services is um, prioritized over owning goods and for a whole bunch of reasons, but basically you, ha you have a lower footprint and impact if you're accessing a service over a good. Right, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, I say this all the time, and it's the, the sustainability development goals um, uh, that the UN put out for, for 2030, and it covers 17 different items within those sustainability goals. And I tell people all the time, you know, take a look at those and just start where you can impact. 
And so I love what you said about procurement, because if you go into procurement with the intention of taking a look at the suppliers from a diversity standpoint, from a sustainability standpoint, those are the steps that you can take to really make a difference today and just really get started. So I think that there's, you know, two really good action items for anybody listening to the show today before we get into the rest of what we're talking about today um, to really, you know, step into once you're finished listening to this episode and and just giving a, a, a diving board, right? A, li- a little bit of a step for, for them to get started. So thanks for, for sharing that. Um, for a company like HP, right? With technology, there's a lot of energy and materials that go into producing the products that you produce. Um, and some of the products can have a bit of a short shelf life. Um, you know, people. some people are buying a new laptop every few years. New and higher specs are coming out regularly. So Let's talk about that. Why is it so important for companies like HP to have an aggressive approach to sustainability? And do you have, do you have um, some programs uh, to really help with reusability um, in that regard? Yeah. So, so the circular economy, uh, and HP has made a commitment to take our entire business circular, is really the 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 framework for how we address this issue of the linear economy, which is where we dig stuff out of the ground, we make something with it, we use it, in some cases you think milliseconds for a plastic stir stick, and then we throw it back in a hole in the ground. And that is not sustainable. We, we dug 100 million, billion tons of stuff out of the earth in 2019, and that caused 50% of greenhouse gas emissions that caused climate crisis, and 80% of species loss. And like it or not, we are part of the ecosystem and we don't know when one more species will tip the ecosystem out of out of kilter. Like it's take it, what we're doing is an uncontrolled experiment. Uh, like uh, the best analogy I had was, you know, the ecosystem is like a finely tuned Swiss watch and we're, we're randomly taking parts out of it and throwing them away as we kill off species. And we don't know which one will stop it working. So we really need to address that. And the circular economy is how we're going to do that. But the circular economy doesn't work with just one organization deciding they're going to do it. It's an economic uh, proposition. Everybody has a role to play in it. And it starts with design. So designing products uh, to be issued as services, to be repairable, to be upgradable, and to have longer lives. Um, once once you've done that, to, to give them a second or third life through repair and upgrading, and then only at the end, taking all of those materials, making sure it's recyclable, and those materials can be recovered and put back into new products. So that's the circular economy in a a simple look at it. Uh, What can you do as an individual here? Buying a service over a good, access over ownership, is the first step in that. But you could also be thinking about how repairable is the product I'm about to buy. Uh, A good example in technology is we have competitors who glue things together because it's cheaper and you don't have to pay the screws or for people to put the screws in. But when it comes to repair, a glued product is not repairable. But it's cheaper to produce. And today, the signal in the marketplace is sell me the cheapest product you can. So our our focus on lowest price in the door has really driven the industry to deliver uh, products that are not repairable. And so we need to be starting to think about total cost of ownership, best value and and you know organizations are starting to do that with vehicles because they understand that there's a cost for running a vehicle 
um, and we're starting to see more uptake in this best value uh, proposition. Well, and that was kind of my next question is from a consumer standpoint, are we seeing their behavior change? I mean, we're hearing a lot about it, right? Where people are saying that they're doing more research on the products that they're buying and they're looking at how sustainable those companies are. But is the behavior changing, I guess, is my question. Uh, I would not say so yet. I, I definitely hear you, you saying about um, people are more interested and some people will do the research and look hard, but it's not easy to find. And, you know, right. we as an industry don't don't make it particularly easy to find or, um, you know, there's a lot of impacts from technology in, in many products. Uh, how do you define what a good one is versus a bad one? So that's where those independent third-party ratings are very helpful. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we're only going to see that obviously from the consumer side increase in in the fact that people are going to start caring more about the companies and the products that they're buying and being more mindful about that reusability or, you know, that circular economy of life for that particular product. Yeah. And let me let me tell you about a great uh, little anecdote here. Um as um as the coronavirus um, COVID hit, uh, we had uh, one of our sales leads actually in the U.S. sitting and thinking about, well, we've you know we've got a whole bunch of kids who've just worldwide who've just been sent home to study from home. Disadvantaged youth already don't have technology at home. Now they're being sent home to study without technology. Right. You know they're already you know they're already behind because of um, racial inequality or poverty. And now they've got this extra thing that they, they just can't keep up. And we all know that for students who don't graduate high school, all the socioeconomic indicators go downhill from there. So this is our youth that we need to be supporting. And uh, he thought long and hard about it. And he said, well, yeah, but we know there's a bunch of Canadians, mm-hmm. Americans, who are sitting around with two or three spare electronic devices in their homes. And why are they not giving them up to these kids who need them? Right. Well, the first one is data privacy concerns. The second one is, you know, access to knowing who to give it to, all of that kind of stuff. So he came up with this thing called HP Refresh. And basically what it is, is some software that we used to sell. Uh, you download it to a USB key. You stick it in your older computer up to a 10-year-old Windows-based device. It will completely data wipe that computer to HP's privacy standards. And it will reinstall a very light operating system, a Zoom browser, and a Chrome, sorry, a Chrome browser and a Zoom client. That oh. makes that PC just good enough. I mean, it's not brilliant, it's not the best, but it's enough for that kid to get online and be studying. Yeah. And if everybody who had a second computer today, listening to this podcast, decided to give it, just give it to the food bank, give it to somebody who could use it, right? The, the, the poverty and the lack of access to technology is holding our youth back. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a really great example because obviously with so many people moving online in such a short span of time, um, that's an amazing initiative. And if I'd, if I'd have known about it, I, I would have definitely participated in it. And, and the fact that it's easy to do, right? A lot of, uh, some people won't do it because it's just not easy to do. But the fact that you've made it that easy to do, um, there's really no barrier or any challenges there for somebody to to want to be part of that initiative. 
Yeah, we've even put on the website, there's, there's a whole website with instructions and suggestions, um, but we've even put on how to de-COVID your you know, computer safely, how to make sure it doesn't have any COVID contamination. So we, we've tried to think of everything and, and, and give that to communities across the island. Absolutely. And now, so earlier in the conversation, you alluded to the supply chain um, and, you know, a little bit about international shipping. I remember in our panel discussion that you had some pretty incredible slides and I might be putting you on the spot here, but one of the slides was talking about how much I think it was carbon manufacturing emits, and it was also talking about every single aspect of the supply chain and, and how much it contributes to, you know, the environmental challenges that we have today. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those stats and what we're really facing as an industry in supply chain to really put it into perspective for the audience that's listening to this, how much, you know, supply chain is contributing and, you know, that could also trigger a place to start for some as well. Yeah. So I think I mentioned earlier that for HP, our total carbon footprint, the supply chain is 50% of that. Now, the largest chunk of that is obviously the materials extraction, but the, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the transportation piece of that is 2.3 million metric tons for HP. So wow. this is significant. And, um, Larry Fink, who uh, runs BlackRock Investments, uh, just this week put out his uh, annual call to CEOs about transparency in the supply chain. And for investors today who are sending very clear signals to Mr. Fink that they want more sustainable investments and to shield themselves from the supply chain disruptions that climate crisis is going to create, they're asking him for better transparency, better metrics, so they can make informed decisions about where to put their investments. So for anybody listening to this, you know, A, it's the biggest area for you to be thinking about for most organizations. It's also the one that typically has been had least work and metrics done on it, but now the BDI is on you. And so getting good data, being transparent about it, and setting some very clear goals for reducing in that area. And there's lots, we're not talking about having to invent new technologies here. There's a lot of basic stuff that we can do. And there's a reason why companies like Walmart have the gigaton challenge, right? They know that's where the, the carbon can be most easily. The, the next cheapest ton of carbon can come out of the supply chain. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we need to think about as professionals going about our day-to-day -day lives and what we can do to really help reduce some of the, the carbon footprint. I was doing a, last month I was doing a panel discussion um, about pallets, and I was actually surprised to, to know how much the wood in the pallets actually absorb a lot of the emissions and actually contribute to a good sustainability program. Oh, you mean for, for the growing the trees? Yeah. Wood is actually uh, one of our most renewable resources and, and people feel surprisingly guilty about consuming wood products. So thinking about printing and paper, for instance, and then won't think twice about driving a 40 kilometer round trip commute, which is actually right. the biggest, usually their biggest uh, carbon impact. So carbon literacy is a very important piece of this new world that we're going to be in. Um, people call it build back better, but I don't want to build back. I want to build forward. <laughs> but there's the, the, just the momentum 
in how people want things to be differently as we come out of COVID is, is, is really encouraging to me as a, a 30 year plus sustainability professional. So, you know, if you don't know about carbon, teach yourself some stuff about carbon. There's lots of online stuff about it. Um, start to get literate, start asking your suppliers for their carbon data, because if you ask pretty soon, they'll be able to deliver. They might not be able to do it today, but they will. Um, and with more knowledge and information, we can start to make better decisions about where that next cheapest ton of carbon is coming from. But Yeah, and work, work with your suppliers on a roadmap, you know, and, and if they're not ready now, maybe they can be ready in a couple of months and, and you both sort of work towards that. So I like that. And that's, you know, I, I talk about collaboration being the future of business, and it definitely sounds like collaboration is a huge part of sustainability. For sure. I, we, um, we have an analogy that, you know, sustainability is the golden thread that ties all of the pieces together. So that ability to work across the silos within business, between businesses and governments and nonprofits, uh, those are all important skills that we're going to need as we move forward. But that carbon literacy, and every time you're making a dollar decision, think of it from a carbon impact perspective. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when I was doing the research for this episode, I found out that you're the founder of WWF's Living Planet at Work and Living Planet um, campus programs. And you say that you're always looking for new and innovative ways to leverage the power of HP to create meaningful change across Canada, which is incredible. Um, so is influencing our peers and getting really creative and innovative with problem solving as one of the you know, keys to ensuring in sustainability in the future. Can you tell us a little bit about that initiative? And you know, maybe is, is there a way for people to get involved? What are you doing with that initiative? So um, WWF came to us and we put our heads together and we said, you know, Canada is a land of small, medium businesses for the most part. They don't have a Francis yeah. working for them. We know that sustainability education in the adult population it was pretty limited and is still not really delivering where we need it today. So I'm also sitting on the board of learning for a sustainable future, which works in the K-12 space. But um, what we recognized was there's a lot of uh, desire on people's part to do things. And, you know, unfortunately, they often get, I'm not going to call it wasted, but they get spent on little things like, you know, eliminating plastic straws which is symbolic and it's kind of good but it's it's i call it straw gate right it's, it's not making an impact right. <laughs> we need to focus on the big picture which is why i default to the procurement side of the house but but there's lots of other areas and there isn't a job that i've come across yet that doesn't have some opportunity to build sustainability into it and there's a couple of reasons why you'd want to do that one is to look for those those carbon impacts and, and other impacts can we reduce them but also engaging your employees the HR mm. community has done a really good job of demonstrating how an engaged employee is a more profitable employee. Right. And for, for other reasons, um, most people today in the workforce want to do the right thing. They want to be working on sustainability. Um, you know, we've got a couple of jobs advertised right now, and I can't tell you how much interest there is internally for people wanting to work in our sustainability function. So mm -hmm. um, we have just announced that everybody in the 55,000 person company can now formally add a sustainable impact goal into their personal goals for this year. We've been doing awesome. it in Canada for a while, but now we're doing it at 55,000 person CEO talking about it level. So, so that's, that's that thing of it's everybody's job, right? 
Yeah. And how amazing. Can you give us an example? I don't know if you have any, but can you give us an example of some of the personal or sustainability goals that someone in the organization would have? Sure. So um, here's one that I particularly like, which was become a diversity, equity and inclusion champion by teaching yourself what you need to know and then being that representative at staff meetings to be the eagle eye for, uh, you know, are we really being inclusive? Right. Yeah. And, you know, such such an important topic right now. I think the other thing that I, I want to mention um, when I was director of sales and marketing for uh, private 3PL in Mississauga, um, you know, we went out and planted trees. So it was like a team building exercise where we all got together. But at the end of it, everybody really felt good about giving back um, to the planet Right. And that was just locally. That was a, a local program that I was able to find. And to be honest with you, it was free. Like we didn't have to pay for it. All we needed to do was have the bodies out there to help plant trees. It brought everybody together. Everybody had a sense of contributing and being part of, of the solution and making a small impact. And, you know, I think things like that can really, really make a huge difference is even just tapping into to local programs that you may have. Yeah, all giving is pretty much local. Um, we have a policy that existed before I even joined HP. That every employee has four hours a month of paid time to volunteer on whatever they want. And the definition of volunteering right. is very broad. And from that, we grow all kinds of things. And what we do know in the volunteering world is that a skills-based volunteer hour is worth about $150 an hour, and a hands-on uh, planting trees, picking up garbage is worth about 25 So because we have a very highly skilled workforce, we, we push our employees towards more of those skills-based volunteering. And it could be something as simple as... Um, doing a speed dating event with um, a speed networking event with uh, new immigrants or helping people write resumes or marketing people consulting with nonprofits on their marketing plans. You know, there's a lot of varieties. There. It doesn't just have to be board service, which is uh, obviously some of the things I do as well. And what we also find is that we've got very good data that the more people use their skills in their volunteering, the more engaged they become. So we reward employees who volunteer in teams of more than five employees with uh, dollars into their giving account, uh, which they can then give to their, their charity as well. So there's lots of ways to encourage employees to do this. And the business benefits um, by having that more engaged employee. Yeah, and I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I actually didn't realize this until... Um, I had spoken so to somebody in the nonprofit space is that it's not always money that they need. It's also the skills and the time. And a lot of nonprofits for, from a supply chain perspective may have supply chain components to what they do. And they need skilled professionals like we are in supply chain or you are in sustainability to take the time to help them maybe, you know, change a process that's going to give them back time in their day, make things a little bit more efficient um, where they don't really have the knowledge. And so, you know, I, I want to reiterate that point, And I know I've said it before on the show is that, yeah, you can you can definitely go out into you know, the world and even you can do everything remotely now. So it doesn't necessarily have to be local. It could be on the world stage where you can um, 
provide your skills, provide your time to a nonprofit that could really, really, really need that right now. That's, that's absolutely true. And there's a wonderful volunteer-run organization called Endeavor that is a matchmaking uh, service for people who want to volunteer their skills and, and nonprofits that need that help. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to go and look into that because I think that that's great. Thank you so much for that resource. And, and just so, to reiterate, because, you know, a lot of people don't think that their business skills are special. But for people who work in nonprofits who don't have those business skills, we take them for granted, you know, the ability to work a spreadsheet or whatever, or do Power BI, whatever else it might be. The nonprofits don't have that. They're, they're passion-driven people typically, so they don't have those business skills. And they, they are eternally grateful for anybody who can come in and help them. And what we find is that that tends to engender even more volunteer hours being given, uh, obviously at the discretion of the employee, and then those longer-term partnerships that really get the benefit for both parties uh, for that longer-term support that you, you're giving to the charity. Amazing. Amazing. So I want to ask you, you know, how has, how has it been for you in your career and on the sustainability side? Because obviously you're going out in the world to make an impact and to help others be able to create that change within sustainability. And I'm sure resistance has changed, but I'm sure you've seen resistance from the beginning to where you are now. What has that looked like? Has it changed? Has it changed drastically? What was the conversation like when you started and what's the conversation like now? Well, the reason I still work at HP is that it's actually remarkably easy at HP because our founding fathers started the company 80 years ago with the desire uh, you know, HP exists. Yes, we have to make a profit, but our real, the real reason we exist is, is to make a difference. And our current CEO uh, reiterated that just last year, you know, we define ourselves not by what we make, but by what we make possible. And so I'm aligned with a whole group of people who really want to make a difference. For 80 years, we've been hiring people who want to make a difference. So, so then the question is, which difference will you make, right? So, um, so I, yeah, but absolutely, uh, you have to have a business case, and and you know sustainability professionals uh, around Canada are thinking, well, I'm you know I'm spending all this time and effort creating the business case. But what I'm seeing today, it's less about the business case, and it's more just tell me what I need to do, um, which is fantastic because we then have to stop being doers as sustainability professionals and more enablers of other people, and that mentoring piece, which I've been doing for decades. Uh, becomes even more important and and giving people that confidence people often think they need a science degree or whatever but every job has an opportunity for sustainability integration to think about it um so giving people that confidence to say well i know this is the right thing to do i'm just going to get it done because we don't have time we don't have time to go off and take you know courses in this that and the other we just need to get stuff done sure stop and ask a sustainability professional if you're unsure but you know have the confidence to step up and say, no, I want a better planet. I want something from, you know, a planet that my kids can live on. I want to leave my grandkids with a, a livable planet. Um, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a change tomorrow in how I buy at home and at work and in everything else that I do. Awesome. And you talked to a little bit about some of the, maybe the research that you put out there. What are some of the resources or are, is there a website that people can go to um, to learn a little bit more or maybe, you know, join the HP initiatives in their own way? 
Well, th there are a ton of resources out there. Um, the Living Planet, the WWF Living Planet at Work program has lots of good tools, free tools and resources for any business or organization that wants to get started. I have just rewritten HP's Sustainable Purchasing Guide. So if you just Google that, you'll, you'll find it. It's a, a bigger document now um, aimed at helping organizations do sustainable purchasing. And we also wrote one with WWF, a uh, guide to buying responsibly as well, which is a, a 101 starter guide. So lots of tools and resources out there. Um, if you want to look at how we prove that we're Canada's most sustainable technology company so that you can do something yourse yourselves on that line, uh, hp.ca slash sustainable impact. Awesome. I love that. And I'm sure people are writing feverishly right now <laughs> to take down those resources. So last question before we go, are there any sustainability trends we can predict for the next few years? And what can we expect from yourself and from HP in the future? So I think we've covered uh, a little bit here, which is that transparency thing that organizations are going to be held increasingly accountable. And so being transparent, which is not an, a, a reflex reaction for most businesses, let's just face it. So, so having some baselines of where you are on a wide variety of sustainability metrics, whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion, supply chain, uh, whatever, you name it. So you, you need some metrics of where you are and some goals of where time-bound goals of where you're going to be and the carbon ones in particular. And you're seeing a, a, a big slew, it's major multinationals today who are going after the uh, uh, carbon neutral or carbon negative. Um, but for the most part, 2050 is a long way out. We're needing some interim goals. You know, one of the things we're seeing with countries like Canada, you know, we've set climate targets time and time again, and we've always missed them. And the gap right. between our, our ambition and what the Paris Accord gave us um, in trying to hold global temperature rise to, to under two degrees C, uh, we're way off target for that. So we really need the private sector to step up and start to do things tomorrow uh, and not be waiting, right? And, and as I said, the fastest way to do that is through purchasing deliberately and, and asking for that information, even if it's not available today, sending the signal into the marketplace that we need this information. Um, so transparency, uh, accountability to all stakeholders, not just shareholders anymore, and uh, getting your own employees aligned around this, which should be easy because they're, they're already there waiting for you to do it. Yes, let's get started today, people, because that was absolutely fascinating. I feel inspired. I'm sure our audience feels inspired. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing how this conversation around sustainability continues to grow and see all of the amazing initiatives or innovations that people like Francis are developing. A big thank you, Francis. Thank you so much for joining us today and providing us with such amazing information. Well, thank you. It's uh, so wonderful to be able to share and uh, move this agenda forward. So really appreciate the opportunity. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. 
Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you'd like to hear more, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest and also filter by category. If you're looking for a company who can help you in an area of challenge of your business or your supply chain, use the category filter and search for those episodes. And don't forget to come back next week as I am talking to Trey Griggs of Lean Solutions Group, and they are doing some incredible things over there, and there are a variety of ways that they can support you in your business, from IT, which is RPA, to marketing, to sales, and they have some really, really creative solutions. It looks like we might be working with them in the future as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, you can also subscribe to us over on YouTube at Let's Talk Supply Chain, or you can subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Next, visit ships.com and sign up. That's shipz.com because we are in full beta. And if you are a forwarder or a shipper that wants to streamline the pricing of your air and ocean freight shipments, gain access to cho more choice worldwide and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you won't want to miss out on our platform. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, if you want to be featured on an upcoming episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. Give us an honest review. We want to hear from you. We want some feedback from you. And uh, so go over to Apple Podcasts and do that great week everyone thanks for listening and remember ship happens